Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. A 20-year-old professional rock climber set out for a day hike in the Canyonlands National Park in Utah. He's working his way up an inner crevasse. He's about 150 feet above the ground, not far from the top. When a boulder shifted and pinned his right arm against the rock wall. For the next six days, he couldn't sit, stand, sleep, or extricate himself from the entrapment. And then on the sixth day, he did the unimaginable. He took his dull pocket knife out of his back pocket, and with his left hand, he began to saw off his right arm. Can we even imagine? With the arm finally severed, he rappelled down with one hand 150 feet and then hiked eight miles back to his truck. They released a movie called 127 Hours, which portrayed this ordeal. You can go home tonight and watch it on Netflix. You probably don't want to, but you could. His memoirs were released entitled Between a Rock and a Hard Place. And they tell of his unprecedented fear and his unparalleled courage. Friends, not only does God allow his people today get stuck between a rock and a hard place, sometimes it's God who puts us there. Case in point, today's text. It's God who sends the Egyptian army after his people. It's God who causes Pharaoh to change his mind so that even Pharaoh mounts up and goes with them. But notice that it's God's instruction for Moses and the people to slow down, backtrack, and camp at Migdol. Now, Migdol was not on the way. They'd been in Egypt for 400 years as prisoners. God performed the ten miracles so that Pharaoh finally said, get out of here. So they're headed east, on foot. They have only what they can carry. There's almost a million of them headed back to the promised land. Migdol wasn't on the way. And so the people grumbled when Moses said, we're supposed to camp tonight at Migdol. Not only was Migdol not on the way, it was a horrible place strategically to spend the night. You see, the Red Sea was on one side, the vast desert on the other, a large marshland on the third. There was one way in and one way out. Camp at Migdal, you'll be trapped. And it's not on the way. Moses, are you sure? But Migdal was the exact place that God chose to reveal his power and his plan. Because the first lesson from today's text is God's plans are not always logical. You know that. Read the Bible. Again and again, God tells 
followers to do things that don't make sense. You know, I think my favorite is when Peter and Jesus are down in the temple court. They're in Capernaum. And one of the officials says, hey, hey Peter, you and Jesus are going to pay the, the tax. Each owe two drachma. Peter says, of course, we always pay our tax. So Peter goes to Jesus and he says, we need four drachmas to pay the tax. Jesus says, well, Peter, I want you to take your fishing line, go down to the lake, see a Galilee, throw your line in. The first fish you catch will be a four drachma coin in his mouth. I'm going to predict Peter had never caught a fish before with a coin in his mouth. But he does so in obedience, and there's the coin, and they pay the tax. I can tell you story after story after story from the Bible where God's instructions were not logical because sometimes that's how God works. In my ministry, I spent six years in California from 84 to 90. Went to Louisiana, Cajun country, small church, 90 to 96. And then in 96, I felt God was calling me back to California. Now, when I left California the first time, I said, I'm never coming back. But I was wrong. And not only did we go back, we went back to Bakersfield. Does anything good come from Bakersfield? The people on the coast would say no. My friends on the coast said, we feel so sorry for you moving to Bakersfield. And yet Bakersfield was a perfect spot for us. God blessed us in Bakersfield. The church was downtown, took up an entire city block. Big facility, had seen glory days, but in recent times had gotten small and older and grayer, if you get the picture. When they offered me the job, I said, I'm only coming on one condition. You have to promise you're going to be a long enough rope to make some changes because I'm not coming to do your funeral. And if I don't make changes, you're going to die. And you know what? They were desperate enough to say yes. And in that first year, I set about some things that I felt we needed to do to become viable and healthy again. And at the end of that first year, the block next to us, adjacent to the west, came up for sale. Suddenly, it's got for sale signs on it. Well, the north half of that block was a parking lot, and we needed to park on that parking lot because this was downtown and parking was a premium. And on Wednesday night and Sunday morning, we parked at least 50 cars on that lot. And if somebody bought it and wouldn't let us park, we were going to be in trouble. So the board said to me, we want you to go across the street to the owner and offer him 300000 for that lot. I did so. I can still see the expression on his face. This guy had a wry smile. He said, 300000 I need at least 600000 I said, okay. And then I turned to walk back to the office, and I was feeling kind of sullen and sad. We didn't have the 300000 I had offered. He needed twice that much for the inexpensive half of the block. You follow me? The next day was Thursday. Thursday's been sermon writing day for 32 years for me. And on Thursday, the ladies in the office guard my office door. People can't just barge through and interrupt me. It's Thursday and I'm working on the sermon. Mid-morning, someone opens the door and an older lady hobbles in, closes the door behind her, 
walks over, sits across from my desk, doesn't even say hi. She says, you know, the property to the west is for sale and we got to buy it. I said, yes, I know it's for sale. I offered him 300000 yesterday, which I didn't have. He said he wanted 600000 Now, I recognize this lady's face, knew her first name, but in large church, I didn't know anything beyond that about her. She said, I want you to go see how much he wants for the entire block. I'm thinking, well, we couldn't buy the cheap half. So I'm going to look kind of stupid. And besides, this is sermon writing time and you snuck in. That's what I'm thinking. But I say to her, okay. She says, I'll wait. She's going to sit in my office and wait. Got to do it now. I got up and walked across the street, came back with he wants $1.5 million for the entire block. The southern half had the commercial building with the renters. It was the expensive half. I said $1.5 million. You know what she did? She opened her purse, took out her checkbook, and she wrote me a check for $1.475 million. She hands it to me and says, take this over and see if we'll take this. I'll wait. I had such joy in my step as I walked over that block. I've never had a check worth a million and a half in my pocket of you. I hand it to him. His eyes get big. He shakes my hand. He says, we've got a deal. As I'm walking back, God reminds me how the day before, we'd offered three. He wanted six. We didn't have three. And in less than 24 hours, he gave us the entire block. God does things like that. And we asked the city to, de- to close the street between the two blocks, and it was four lanes, and they did so. Another miracle. And we turned it into one contiguous two-block campus. Sometimes God's plan is different than ours. And usually it's bigger than what we ask for or hope. The second lesson I find in today's text is God always makes his plans in advance. There are some things I know that God has never said. And the first is the word, oops. God's never said that. The second is, well, I guess I'll have to go back to the drawing board. God's never said that either. The third is, well, why didn't I think of that? God's never said that. God acts in the present already knowing the future. He looks down from above and sees our entire span. He sees where we are on the road. He knows what's around the corner. He knows what's going to happen next month and next year. And he acts in the present with the future in mind, which is why we trust him. Why did God do what he did in today's text with the Israelites? Verse 4, so that all of Egypt will know I am the Lord. That's what this is about. All of Egypt will know that I am the Lord. God makes his plans in advance. I'm sure some of you remember the popular movie from the 80s called Top Gun. One of my favorites. I watch it every time it comes on. I love 
music, loved the fighter jet scenes. And you know, the sequel was set to come out this summer, but it's been delayed until December because of the COVID virus. But I can't wait to see it. In the original, there's a scene I love. Tom Cruise plays fighter pilot named Maverick. Val Kilmer plays his co-pilot, codenamed Iceman. They're in the sky in a dogfight. There's a MiG-28 on their tail. And Maverick, the pilot, hits the brakes. And Iceman says, Mav, what are you doing? And Maverick says, I'm merely bringing them into range. Friends, that's what God's doing to the Egyptians. I told you to camp at Migdal. It's not a good spot. I told you to slow down, double back, and wait, and camp where you're trapped. Because this isn't about you. I want all of Egypt to know who the real Lord is. God makes his plans in advance. He already knows the ending to this story. And interestingly, so does Moses. Which is why Moses says, before the seas even parted, he says, I want you to take a good look at those Egyptians over there. Because you'll never see them again. And wasn't that true? You know, this parting took place at night. The story ends when the waters close back over them, and it says it's daybreak. They cross through in faith at night on dry land, but it says two places, there are walls of water on each side. This was not tidal surges or strong winds. This was the miraculous touch of God. King David thought it was so when he talked about it. The Apostle Paul thought it was a true fact when he talked about it. It has survived and stood the test of time. Lesson number three. When God makes plans, he doesn't need our help. Just our faithfulness. And so he says in verse 14, Do not be afraid. Stand still. And you will see the victory from the Lord. Stand still. You don't have to fight. Stand still. Well, let me remind you. The Israelites look at the cloud of dust headed their way. They know it's the Egyptian army. Horses, chariots, bows and arrows, spears. God's people are unarmed. At face value, it looks like it's going to be a slaughter. And Moses in faith says, you're right, it's not going to be fair. Because God's on our side. And they don't have a chance. Take a good look at them. You're never going to see them again. And isn't that how it played out? God doesn't need our help. Just our faithfulness. I've told some of you before that um, I, I was a founding pastor at New Hope Presbyterian Church up in Fort Myers. 2008, some of us moved out of Covenant Presbyterian Church. And God provided a facility for us to rent. And our first service was Easter 2008. Would you believe there were 1,600 people at the first service? The church we were renting from had 75. And those Brazilians opened their arms and welcomed us. They said, our facility is yours. We were so touched. They gave us Sunday morning and Wednesday night. They gave us office space, classroom space, fellowship room. 
They gave us permission to paint and update, which we did. We paid 80% of the bills. And it was a symbiotic relationship that blessed both sides. But in the beginning, we knew we had to find new property and build a new campus. So in the first few months, there were four people I met with every week. And these people were realtors and engineers and builders and knew about real estate. I was just the uh, one who opened in prayer. After three months, we were in agreement of a certain piece of property that God was wanting us to purchase. It was 20 acres, undeveloped, prime location, just on the west side of McGregor Baptist, but very expensive. We put an offer in. The owner said, no, you're a million and a half short. Well, we didn't have the amount we had offered. So the board got together and we said, we just need to wait. We feel like this is where God's calling us, but we're obviously short. Let's see what God will do. That was 2008. Some of you remember what happened to property values between 2008 and 2009. Two thousand nine, the owner comes back to us. He says, Are you still interested in that property, that twenty acres? We said yes. He said, Well, I'm willing to accept the amount you offered a year ago. And we said, No, no, no. The values have gone down much more since then, and we offered him a million less the second time, and he still took it. Can God save the church two million dollars? There are 1,500 people up in Fort Myers who think he can. I was part of it. And God didn't accomplish that because we were good negotiators. It wasn't our business acumen. It was God's touch, God's timing, God's provision. When God makes plans. He doesn't need our help. Just our faithfulness. Be still. And see the salvation of the Lord, Moses said. Be still. That's hard for me. Probably hard for some of you. Because you're good at getting things done. You make lists. You're task-oriented. You accomplish good things. And a lot of them. But God doesn't need our help. He just needs our faithfulness. So those of you who are like me are in trouble. We've got to reprogram. It's not Martha who got rewarded. It's Mary who sat at the feet of Jesus and listened to his teaching. I want to close today by telling you about my hero. He's my hero because he stood still. When they lied about him, he stood still. When they threatened him, he stood still. When they arrested him, he went out to greet them and then stood still. When Peter tried to fight, he said, put your sword away. He stood still. Willingly, he went with them because he was standing still. He cooperated in the six kangaroo court trials with the trumped up allegations. He stood still. When they spit on his face, he stood still. He put a crown of thorns on his head and the blood ran down his temples. He stood still. They gave him 39 lashes and beat him with rods. And he stood still. They stripped him naked, nailed him to a wooden cross, 
and he stood still. And because he stood still, you and I today have seen the salvation of the Lord. For God says to all who receive him and believe on his name, he gives the right to become children of the almighty living God. May our minds understand. May our hearts be grateful that we would comprehend this indescribable, amazing gift from God through the Son, which is for us this day. Will you pray with me? Father God, today we pause from the comfort of our little church to remember your call and your plan. To remember it's not always logical, but you're acting now with the future in mind. You don't need our help to accomplish your plan. You just need us to be faithful, to stand still, to keep our eyes on you, and to be faithful. Father, continue to work your will, your plan for this, your church, that you might be glorified as we lift up the name of your son, Jesus Christ, here from the downtown in Naples. Lead us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.